Welcome to On the Middle East, the podcast of the award-winning media service El Monitor, where each week we talk with the decision makers and thought leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in the Middle East. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of El Monitor, and our guest today is Heba Fisher, CEO and co-founder of Kerning Cultures, the award-winning Middle East podcast network. Before we bring in Heba, let me mention something my colleagues and I at our at our monitor are watching closely, in which we have talked about previously on this podcast. Now, last week, during his confirmation hearing, Anthony Blinken, U.S. President Joe Biden's nominee to be Secretary of State, warned that talks between Egypt, Ethiopia, and Sudan on the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam could, and I'm using Blinken's words, boil over. Blinken promised that U.S. diplomacy in the region would be fully engaged to deal with the issues there. He's right, it could boil over. And to be fair, the Biden administration is not inheriting a cold start on Nile River and Horn of Africa diplomacy. U.S. President Donald Trump agreed to help broker a deal among the three parties in September 2019 at the request of Egyptian President Abdul Fattah al-Sisi. U.S. Treasury Secretary at the time, Steve Mnuchin, actually worked out an agreement with Ethiopia, Sudan, and uh, Egypt, uh, and, and the World Bank. And by February 2020, they had a framework for dealing with the dam. But when it came time to sign, Ethiopia never showed up. Since then, mediation efforts by the African Union and South Africa have mostly sputtered. The stakes in the Nile Dam talks couldn't be higher for Egypt. Egyptian Foreign Minister Sema Shukri told me in an interview with El Monitor in September 2019, and I'm quoting him here, for Egypt, the matter of the Nile is a matter of life and death. And he added, I'm quoting again, I don't think anybody could agree or would agree that Ethiopian development should come at the expense of the lives of Egyptians. Egypt is 90% desert, and the Nile is the only source of water. 95% of Egypt's estimated 100 million citizens live along the river or near it. The Nile's water barely meets Egypt's needs. They could use more, and therefore any reduction could be a massive hardship for Egyptians. Now, Egypt's position is that Ethiopia should fill the dam over maybe 10 years or some period of time, to assure equitable distribution and to manage any technical issues that might come up regarding water management. Ethiopia in return says Egypt is overstating uh, the impact of the dam or, or, or problems that could result from seasonal or climate variations. For Ethiopia, the dam is a matter of sovereignty and national pride. Now Sudan, the third party, is tilted toward Egypt in the talks Khartoum also stands to gain from the dam, which could help curtail episodic flooding and over time provide cheaper and more accessible energy. This all became more complicated and intertwined because of the Ethiopian civil war and its impact on Sudan. While the Nile talks have been until now mostly a high stakes Egypt-Ethiopia diplomatic dispute with Sudan in a supporting role for Egypt, the Sudan-Ethiopia fault line now risks military escalation. 
And with all this going on, it's hard to believe only two years ago in 2019, Ethiopian Prime Minister Abe Ahmed won the Nobel Peace Prize for ending the 20-year border dispute with Eritrea. But today, the fault lines are ominous. There, there are the border disputes we're talking about here between Sudan and Ethiopia over the Al-Fasha region in between Ethiopia and Eritrea and Tigray, where the civil unrest has started. Thousands of more refugees leaving Ethiopia for Sudan, which already houses over a million refugees. Fragile economies in Sudan and Ethiopia and the consequences for Somalia and the Horn of Africa of what could be endemic ethnic conflict. The Biden administration, in my opinion, has a strong diplomatic hand here. The U.S. has close ties with all three parties to the Nile talks. If managed right, there's plenty of Nile water to share, and no one is talking about infringing on Ethiopia's ultimate sovereignty over the dam. Egypt, to its credit, has until now so far played the Nile talks by the diplomatic book. And U.S. partners in the region, including the United Arab Emirates, can play a helpful mediating role. We go into more detail in this week's Week in Review column. I'd encourage you to look at that and to uh, read El Monitor's coverage. We cover this issue uh, daily. And look out for uh, coming guests on this podcast to discuss what's happening in the Nile Dam talks. Now, I am very pleased to welcome our guest today, Heba Fisher, co-founder and CEO of Kerning Cultures Network which is setting the trend for immersive podcasts in the region. Heba is a world-class entrepreneur and media executive and producer, totally tuned in to the identity and cultural trends that are influencing how Arab young people are consuming media. My conversation with Heba Fisher begins now. Heba, welcome to On the Middle East. Thank you for having me, Andrew. I want to hear a little about your personal journey that took you to Kerning Cultures Network. Maybe we can start here. You're an Egyptian-American, someone who travels and lives literally and figuratively in and between the U.S. and the West and the Arab world. What experiences led you on a road to founding an award-winning media podcast devoted to immersive Arabic and English stories? Um, sure. So, so we started Kerning Cultures uh, coming up on six years ago now. Um, and it was very much born out of um, a bit of a frustration, really, that most mainstream media in the Middle East uh, doesn't speak to us youth. It's, it's really created for our parents' generation, which is really alienating. Um, and we're a very young population across the Arab world. It's about 140 million of us between the ages of 15 and 35. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and so we, we started uh, Kerning Cultures. It was a smaller vision of just uh, a single show at the time that's now grown into a network. Um, but in the beginning, it was just we wanted to tell, create media and tell stories that we were actually interested in, uh, the kinds of stories that we'd want to turn uh, and have a conversation about with a friend. Um, and we weren't getting that from, from certainly the radio and, and other forms of media around us. So, so we decided to, to start something of our own. And tell me, what was it about traditional media that you and your demographic 
wasn't getting? What were you looking for that wasn't there? Um, most mainstream media across the Middle East is um, w- one of a couple of things. Either it's uh, very politicized um, and there's some kind of an agenda um, or it's really superficial. <laughs> and I, I really think it's just a waste of time, unfortunately. Um, and, uh, and then thirdly, there's a lot of, um, we import a lot of stuff when we're certainly when we're talking about film and TV, uh, we import Turkish shows, for example, import Spanish shows and then dub it over. Um, and so there's a lack of original content in general across, across multimedia, um, and in podcasts, podcasting is is a very new uh, medium to the, to the Arab world. I mean, when we launched Kerning Cultures, we were one of the first podcasts coming out of the entire region. It's grown a lot. So um, there's probably close to 2,500 shows coming out of the Middle East right now, either in Arabic or in English. But when we started, there was like maybe 10. Um, so it's, it's, it's still picking up. We're still very much in the early stages. Um, but, uh, but podcasting was this total open space uh, where, where there, there wasn't really any content in general. Uh, and so we were, we were sort of setting a standard with, with the kind of storytelling that, that we produced. Tell me about you as an Egyptian American who lives between the US and the Arab world. Did that influence your thinking about media and the type of shows you wanted to do? I didn't actually have a background in media before Kerning Culture, so it was very much a, a, a very steep learning curve. Um, and and I, uh, I mean, our team is incredible, and, and every producer uh, on, on the Kerning Cultures team did have a background in media, and so I learned a lot from everybody. Um, but for me, I think the, the, the part of being half and half was just, you know, my mother's Egyptian, my father's American. Um, and you find that storytelling is a, is a way to kind of communicate very easily between both cultures. Um, and so that's just something that I grew up with. Both of my parents are incredible storytellers. So many people in my family are really great, really great storytellers. So it's just, um, I think that's kind of been, you know, in my blood and, and what I'm familiar with. Um, but translating that to podcasts was a totally new game. <laughs> and that took, it took us, I think, three and a half years to get good at producing a story for within podcasting. And now, you know, our stuff tops the charts regularly across the region and we've won awards and our stuff airs on Radiolab and Gimlet Media and NPR. I mean, it's, it's definitely internationally best in class, but it took us, it took us several years to get here for sure. Tell me about how the you, you put a, a lot of work and it shows uh, into the production of your podcast and how they sound uh, really impressive and uh, immersive to use use your words. Um, tell us about how that using sound on the one hand and uh, video and images on the other. Do you anticipate at some point your podcast? going more visual. You have some visuals and we'll, we'll talk about some of them in a minute, but tell me a little about your thoughts behind the production of, of the shows. So there's something incredibly powerful with just audio. And I, I'm, I'm a very big believer. Our team is a really big believer. Um, and that's why we started uh, at, with podcasts and, and we'll continue to be an audio first company for sure. Um, I think the, the extent of which there'll be a visual component is um, in the context of promotion. And so we, we do a lot of our promotion on social media, which are all visually visual first platforms, right? If you think of Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, I mean, you need to have, it's, it's boring if it's just a link. 
Um, and so that's to the that's the extent of which we incorporate visuals into our production more as a way to promote the episode. But the episode is the audio episode is always the, the that that is it that that is the thing. And if you think about يعني, how visceral <laughs> listening to a podcast can be, I mean that's that's the experience that we strive for in every production that we do where you know, you're, you're just completely swept away and up into these story worlds and, and hearing, I think the other uh, detail of, of podcasts that I love so much is, is, is people are telling their own stories in their own voice, right? It's not like a book where somebody is paraphrasing. It's, um, it, it's, it's very, very much, you know, <laughs> they are telling their own stories in their own voice. And so there's something very, very evocative in that there's something very relatable Um, it's, it's a really powerful space to build empathy, I think, where you can really imagine yourself in the person's shoes and, and you kind of fill in all the details of, of, of the stories that, that they're sharing. Um, and, and I feel like with, I mean, I watch movies, I love TV, like I'm not, I'm not hating on video as a medium, but, but I do think that my imagination is fired a lot more powerfully when I'm hearing somebody's story rather than when I'm watching somebody's story. Like I, it's a lot, it's a lot more passive when I'm just watching, you know, like I'm not doing that much work. I'm just kind of on the receiving end of something. Um, whereas when I'm listening to somebody's story, I, I, I fill in a lot of the details with my own imagination. And I think you become almost like an active participant in the story in some way, uh, which, which is just so cool. It's just a, that as an experience is, is, is awesome. And that's why, why we're obsessed with podcasts. I think it's, it's a fascinating thing you point out. You know, I, I've always believed in that that power of sound and, and the immersion, uh, immersive quality of it, whether you're listening to music or even uh, growing up as a sports fan, people used to say, well, I, I like to listen to a, a baseball game, for example. Yeah. And it's almost like, and you're like, well, why would you want to listen to it as opposed to watching it? You're like, well, you know, if you're on a long drive or you catch these stories and it's, it, it's really powerful. And I, I used to say it to, to myself, you know, I, kind of ask people, are you the type of person, if you walk into a room or you come home, do you turn on the radio, music, or satellite as it is now, or do you turn on the TV? And and, and to me, it's always just the, the default has been put on music, put on something that's, uh, that brings sound, and it can either be there in the background or it can be something like you say, you can just find yourself sitting down and listening and having the type of experience that would be more active than I think a lot of people realize until they think about it. I completely agree. <laughs> Heba, what are some of the trends you have been picking up in identity and culture that have influenced your podcast content? What we do is, is, is we create immersive podcasts for the curious listener. Um, and we're, we're just all about really good storytelling. Um, I, I think in terms of the identity piece, it, it kind of ties into what we were speaking about earlier and the fact that most mainstream media in the region isn't created for its youth. Um, and so from an identity perspective, that becomes really hard to relate to that kind of content. And so podcasts are this space where it's us creating content for ourselves. And so it's very relatable. And we have on a regular basis, listeners will send in essays, honestly, essays of how much listening to our stories mean to them and how it's the first time that they heard somebody speak about something like this or they really see themselves in these stories. Um, and I'm thinking uh, pr particularly around some of the stuff we've done around mental health, for example, like this is, 
these are topics that are not um, spoken out loud at all. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, not, not a very isolating experience uh, as a result. And, and so to be able to hear people share their stories struggling with postpartum depression or, um, or, you know, what it was like growing up as a child where you didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, your, your family wasn't particularly affectionate or, or whatever, whatever it, it might be just to, to, to hear somebody tell their story with that experience and, and whether you relate or not, but just for it to be actually vocalized, I think is incredibly powerful. And, and so that's, um, th that's something that a lot of our audiences really, really, it really resonates. Um, and the other thing that I think that's very core to what Kerning Cultures does as a network and in, in contrast really to a lot of other podcast networks that are coming out of the region is we're very um, transnational, like we're very much a regional network. So our producers are in Egypt, they're in Lebanon, they're in Saudi, they're in the UAE. Uh, we have some stragglers in the UK and the US and we work with freelancers across, across the region. And our vision is to work with freelancers in every city across the Arab world. Um, and so what that means is that whenever you listen to a Kerning Culture show, either in Arabic or in English, you're going to hear stories from a lot of different places. And, you know, we, we say we're all Arab, we say we're all Arab at the end of the day, but honestly, we don't know each other that well. And so this being able to hear a story from Sudan or a story from Palestine or a story from, from Lebanon, is it's, it's really beautiful. You know, you, you feel this 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 connection and and um, it, it's just yeah I, I think I think that's another distinction of the kind of storytelling that we do is that you, you really it's this cross cultural uh, kind of platform and and it's all uh, apart from Sutter's Eclipse which is our our first fiction show that uh, we just went live with last month every, everything is nonfiction so it's all based on real life stories and, and interviews with real people um, which is just really powerful. Oh. Uh when you do a show like on mental health issues, which, you know, even here in the United States, it still can be a, a touchy subject. There's a lot of uh, learning that's gone on in the aggregate about the challenges people face, but what type of reactions do you get in, in the region when you talk about what's, what's been a sensitive subject like that? It's really well received. It's very, very well received. Um, and so, so these these are the shows that that regularly top the charts uh, across every country library. You know how Apple does the, the their charts, and so uh, across not even just mental health and health and fitness categories, but just across all podcasts, this is regularly like number one within the top ten across different countries. It's very, very well received, um, and uh, and and you know it's it's necessary. I think it's, this is really important conversations for us to be having. And the other layer that we add on top of this, which has been uh, obviously paused because of COVID, um, is, is we host what we call listening parties in different cities where we have producers around the world. And so we'll gather our community in coffee shops and art galleries, and we'll play uh, an episode of, of a podcast and then have a discussion about it afterwards. And, um, and those are hands down some of my favorite evenings. And it's kind of like being a part of a book club without having to read the book <laughs> and, um, and, and to start in a room full of strangers. And then, you know, you're having a conversation about say postpartum depression. It's, it's just so beautiful. It's really, really beautiful to, to and it, it, it takes what's typically a very uh, solitary listening experience. If you think about mm. our normal behavior, when we're listening to podcasts, we're typically alone. And then now you're in a community and, and there's this instant sense of, of, of a community around you as you're really discussing and offering advice and sharing your own personal experiences on top of the story you just heard. 
it's um, th that's that's a, a another dimension to the, to the kind of storytelling uh, that we do that that I think is 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 just fantastic and people walk away you know new friendships out of this and it's a it's a nice way to interact with the material especially when we're talking about really difficult subjects like mental health when you're dealing with the subjects subject matter and looking at the the trends of, of young people in the region is there still an interest uh, with the, the political issues like like the wars in, in Syria, Yemen, and Libya, and these things, or the Israeli-Palestinian issue? Uh, does that still come up, or is that do people look to mainstream media for that and and come to the podcast for something else? So deliberately, as a network, we stay away from politics as as often as we can, frankly, um, and and that's largely because I mean the reason the reason we started Crane Cultures in the first place was because we wanted to <laughs> tell other kinds of stories, right? There's enough. There's so much media, so much political media that that there's plenty of other places to go for that for those kinds of conversations. What I'll say though is is of course politics influences every aspect of our lives in general, and so it inevitably comes through in some of the storytelling. And but we approach it from a very human first perspective. So, um, for example, one of our uh, Arabic shows called Bihub, which is uh, it's it's about love uh, and relationship stories, loosely defined. So, for example, a, a mother's relationship with her son, for example, you know, in, in addition to like a couple's relation. Um, there's an, an episode that we did um, called Shayef al-Bah, which, which translates to Do You See the Sea? And it's about Palestinians' relationship with the sea. Uh, but inside Palestine, especially in the West Bank, your, your movements are restricted, right? Uh, and, you know, you have to go through checkpoints and you have to get permits. And so even though you are 20 kilometers as a Palestinian away from the sea, it's really, really hard to actually get to the sea. And some Palestinians spend 30 years before they're able to actually touch touch the water, which is insane to think about. And so that was that was the way that we told that story, um, more so about the relationship with the sea. And of course, the overarching narrative is about living under living under occupation. Uh, but it, but it, it's not focused on that um, from a political perspective, if that makes sense. It's a lot more focused on what is this what is the the lived experience within that. If yeah. <laughs> Do you find that uh, these podcasts are in, in the demographic uh, that you're targeting, are they replacing radio and digital print media or complementing them? Uh, how, how do you see it? I think for the most part, they're complimenting them uh, for, for sure. I will say, I don't know anybody my age who listens to the radio in the Arab really? world. Yeah, I mean, unless it's like by accident or like your Bluetooth, you know, your phone died or something like what, why you just you can choose what you want to listen to whenever you want to listen to it now when you're talking about streaming music or you're talking about podcasts. Right. And um, it, it's, it's very much an older generation that listens to, to the radio. Um, but I think I think podcasts, of course, are very complementary to any other sort of digital media. Um, and and podcasts have a certain place, I think. So, I, I mean, it's not like I, I mean, I read I read the news and I read magazines and I read books and I watch Netflix, like all of that still exists. Um, but I listen to podcasts when I'm doing really boring tasks, right? Like when I'm folding laundry, it transforms this mundane experience into something I look forward to or when I'm going for a run, which 
I, I'm never encouraged to do except, oh, okay, I can actually catch up on my next, on my next episode. Um, so it, it, it reaches me, I think, when other media doesn't. Um, and it, it's an additive. Uh, it's not a, a substitute, at least, at least at this stage in my life. And I think that's true for, for most of our audience as well. How does it compare from what you know of U.S. media trends among younger people? Does it pretty much track the same in terms of media consumption and, and podcasts? Yeah, so uh, the U.S. as a market, um, there's about 150 uh, million podcast listeners in the U.S. that are listening to an average of five to seven hours of podcasts a week. And, and it Tends, it, it tends to a younger audience. So between, I would say, 18 and, and 45. Um, and it also, the, the typical podcast listener demographic is a young, uh, as we said, an educated and affluent uh, listener. And that, that tracks globally, in fact, right now. So podcasting is not uh, mass media yet in a lot of markets. It, it tends to, to kind of cater to that demographic. Um, and it's the same thing in the Middle East right now. So a young, educated, affluent demographic that's listening. Podcasts, podcasts are growing like crazy in the Arab world. So as I mentioned, when we, when we launched KC about six years ago, there were very few podcasts and very few podcast listeners as a result. Uh, but in the past couple of years, it's grown like crazy. And what's been um, reported is that there's at least 10 million podcast listeners currently in, in the Arab world. I think the number is much higher, but this is the there's only been two reports that have done on two countries. Um, and it's uh, growing like crazy. So it's, it's the same um, customer profile as a Netflix subscriber. So again, tracking in terms of education and, and affluence level, digital savviness. Uh, but but I, I really believe that um, the, the Arab world can, can uh, top global uh, listener penetration for podcasts in the next five years, just because of how, uh, how digitally savvy we are. We have the highest smartphone penetration rates globally. We're very young, as I mentioned. Um, and we're insane consumers of content right now. So the Middle East is one of the growth markets for uh, platforms like Netflix, for example. And if you look at social media, MENA, the Middle East and North Africa tops uh, global usage for Facebook, Snapchat, and YouTube. Um, and so it's, uh, podcasting is, is the next frontier of, of media. And I think we're going to see similar trends happen uh, in, in the Arab world for podcasts in a few short years. Let's talk about some of your programs. I really liked Al Empire. Uh, there were some great discussions about different roads to success. Uh, and in English, for those of us whose uh, at best proficient Arabic is, uh, is mostly faded, um, but you're discontinuing that one, but you got other good ones uh, coming and, and present. And you mentioned earlier Soccer's Eclipse, which again, is, is in Arabic. I've, I've worked through it a little bit. Uh, but it seems to just be really cool and so sophisticated in its production. So tell us a little more about that. Yeah. Um, so we have eight shows underneath our network of Kerning Cultures, um, six in Arabic and two in English. And, uh, and the Arabic shows range from um, we do some we have a daily guided meditation series. Um, we have. Uh, short historical stories um, that, that we had done for last Ramadan and are going to do something similar this coming Ramadan. Uh, Sa'ar's Eclipse is, a, is an eight-episode adventure thriller. It's our first fiction series um, that we've been producing for a year and a half, actually. It took a really long time to get to that quality of, of production. It's with a you know cast of, of actors and 
it um it profiles an adventure uh, an adventure uh, travel influencer on a trip of a lifetime to witness an upcoming solar eclipse in, in the middle of the empty quarter the, the desert in, in Saudi um, and it's a fantastic series uh, if, if you are an Arabic speaker I highly encourage you checking it out you can search Madalat uh, Sakhr on any uh, any podcast app um, and um, yeah we uh, were as a, as a network, we're eager to experiment with a bunch of different kinds of content. And so we play with, we play with different genre, we play with different topics, we're playing with different styles. Um, so short form versus long form, um, fiction versus nonfiction. Uh, and, and we were just um, strategizing as a team for, for what the next uh, year will, will look like for us. And, and I'm, I'm super excited. This season, um, you've mentioned that you'll be doing shows on the impact of Iraq's invasion of Kuwait in 1990. And that was a huge and pivotal event uh, in the region for the people of Kuwait, for the people of Iraq too. It set so many things in motion. Um, tell us a little about how you're approaching that subject. Yeah, so this is a single episode on the upcoming uh, season for Kerning Cultures, which is our flagship show. <laughs> so it's the Kerning Cultures Network, and then our first podcast is also called Kerning Cultures. Um, so this is a, an English language uh, a series where we tell stories from across the Middle East and North Africa and the spaces in between. Um, so every episode is a, is a different documentary uh, series and or a different documentary story. Um, and this particular episode is uh, is looking at the after aftermath of the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait in 1990, which, um, you know, we all lived through as, as very little people. <laughs> and, uh, and, and um, we were uh, profiling some, some families uh, as they had to flee uh, Kuwait. And, and I won't ruin the, the, the episode. I highly encourage you to listen to it. It's, it's, it's a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful piece, but it's very much focused on, uh, on the impact of um, we profile a couple of families uh, and, and what, you know what it was like for them and 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 where 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 um where they went after when they left and you've got another one coming up on the killing of Mehmet Toal Pasha by Armenian assassins after the genocide tell us a little about the thought behind that program yeah so this is this is another episode on that same show on the Kerning Culture show so English English storytelling um and uh, and this was um, profiling, uh, you know, a group of ordinary citizens, um, Armenians, who decided to take uh, justice into their own hands because it wasn't being served uh, by any legal system, um, and they weren't, um, you know, they, they weren't uh, militarily trained at all. So it's it's really quite fascinating to see how they kind of mapped out <laughs> this. Um, this, this serving of justice, which again, um, th th we, we go into kind of the history of the Armenian uh, case and the Armenian genocide and then these people. So all of it will make sense if you listen to the episode, which I highly encourage you to do. Um, but, uh, but, but it's a profile on this, on this group and, and how they organized and what their thinking was. And, and then, um, and also what's, what's really quite extraordinary is this as a case study uh, became, um, or, or this as a, uh, as an incident, as a historical moment, I actually became a case study for how to define justice thereafter, which which is part of um, part of the 
the thinking behind any episode that we produce is is we're really focusing on a singular experience, but but ultimately the vision or the the goal is that you kind of scale out by the end of the episode and you can think a bit more universally about okay, well, how does this one instance apply to me, for example? Yeah, but the Kerning Cultural Network has been an amazing success story since you started, you know, 2015. You started in Dubai, you now are in seven cities. You're a venture funded podcast. Tell us what that means uh, and a little about the business side of your operation. Yeah, so we when our first story went live in 2015 and it, it took several years, honestly, for us to get good at storytelling, frankly. Um, and, uh, and we raised a, a round of investment um, in 2019, which uh, Kerning Cultures is the, the first venture-backed podcast company in the Middle East, which I'm really, really proud of. And, and we've, we've really opened up the industry for, for other companies who have raised uh, since. Um, and uh, and it's, it's all been born with the same passion that we are building a media company that we can be proud of from the Arab world. And um, one that's producing content that we ourselves <laughs> can get excited about and our peers can get excited about. Um, and, uh, and the vision is, is, you know, we really believe in, in the medium of, of podcasts and the potential uh, and the opportunity ahead of us. And, and like I said, I mean, we really believe that the Arab world can, can top global listener penetration for podcasts in the next couple of years. And so making sure that we're creating the kind of content that can meet that demand um, and, uh, and we've grown a lot as a team, uh, as you said, we're in several cities, uh, around the region and, um, and, you know, we're, we're building a, a premier podcast network, <laughs> inshallah, for, to, to, to serve the, the Arab world. Um, and, uh, it's, yeah, it's been, it's been a pretty, pretty crazy ride. And I, I think we're just getting started. Eba, thank you for your time today on, on the Middle East. Really enjoyed talking to you. Very much a fan of your podcast and looking forward to your upcoming season. Thank you, Andrew. This has been great. Thank you for the time. We will be right back after this short break. I'm Ben Kaspit, Al Monitor veteran columnist reporting from Israel, one of the world's major news and action suppliers of all times, comparing to its tiny size. I've been covering and analyzing the political, diplomatic, and military arenas in Israel for over 34 years. My best-selling biography, The Netanyahu Years, was out two years ago. I covered seven prime ministers, one major war, two intifadas, one prime minister's assassination, two and a half peace treaties, four military operations in Gaza, and it's not letting up anytime soon. I am glad to invite you to On Israel, our brand new podcast, where we will discuss major events in Israel and its surroundings, talk to decision makers, leaders and analysts, and try to understand the chaos that comes with the territory of Israel and the Middle East. You will never have a dull moment with us. See you soon here on Israel Al Monitor. Thank you all for listening to On the Middle East. I would like to thank our production team of Phil Calabro of El Monitor and Beowulf Roshlin of Two Square Media Productions. We will be back next week. And in the meantime, please sign up for this and our other El Monitor podcast on Israel 
at your favorite podcast platform.